Amen. Thank the Lord for that, the singing and the scripture reading. And now we get to the word of the Lord. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the songs that were sung, prayers that were prayed, and the scriptures that were read. Father, we ask you this morning to be with us as we come down to the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that you have blessed us with the singing as we sung songs to you, lifting our voices up to heaven. Lord, we thank you for the church, the local church. We thank you for the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, church is a special thing. It is a glorious thing. We thank you for the local church that gathers. We thank you for the local church, Lord, where we are here to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to point all of us to the ultimate hope for the believer, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as I prepare to preach this morning, I pray that as we come as your people, we are gathered as one before you. Lord, we have a lot of weaknesses and failings and needs. And Lord, because of this, we know that we need you. We need your grace that has come to us through redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we need to hear your gospel afresh this morning. We need the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit through your word. Lord, we need your illumination because our eyes are often dull and darkened. Lord, we don't always understand. Lord, we struggle, and so we ask now that you would teach us by your spirit through your word. We ask that you would move us, that you would bring to light the greatness of who you are, our neediness, and that you would stir up faith that we might look to you and you alone. I pray, Father, that you would remove from us pride in any thought that would hinder the reception of your word as it is in truth in the word of God. I ask, Lord, that in all of us now as your people, that we will receive your truth with hunger and thirst and gratefulness. And Lord, I pray this prayer also for other churches, other pastors, that they will receive the word from their pastors, from their elders, with joy, with gratefulness, and with hunger. Lord, we pray for Brother Bob and Brother Carlton and Anthony and Phil and Brother Steve, Brother Josh, Brother Cody, Brother Justin, Brothers uh, Sylvester and Gobbler and Josephus over on the continent of Africa. We pray, Lord, for all the Christians around the world who are celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day in church this morning. Lord, we ask you to feed all of us through the word of Christ. Strengthen us in the spirit by the word of Christ this morning. As we preach about Christ being the son of man, being the God man. Lord, may you be pleased with what I preach this morning. 
May you give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. This morning I'm preaching on this last series in Advent. Uh, next week we're going to begin a sermon series in the book of Colossians. I finished Ephesians and I'm going to preach Colossians and then come back and preach uh, Philippians after that. I'm preaching Colossians because Col Colossians and Ephesians are uh, companion books. Uh, I'm going to hand those out to you all after uh, church, the calendar for uh, that I think we're going to spend about 18, 17, 18 sermons in Colossians, and we're going to begin that next Sunday, which is the 31st. And also remember, next Sunday we're going to have a catered meal. Uh, compliments of uh, Brandon Blakely and his Divine House of Soul, and we thank Miss Mary for getting that together for us. We're also going to observe communion next Sunday. That'll be our last one of this year. <laughs> Because the 31st ends this year, and then the uh, Monday is the first, and we're going to look at some another Bible reading challenge to begin the year. So we have all that coming up uh, next Sunday. We will have Bible study this Wednesday. We'll be back in the book of Judges, I think the sixth chapter. So we'll be back at Bible study. I just want to make those announcements since we didn't do them at the beginning of service. So uh, make sure we keep that in mind. With that being said, let's look at Matthew Again, looking at the genealogy of Christ, Jesus, the Son of Man, is our sermon title. Got these candles were still on. <laughs> Good, quick breath. Okay, this is the verses one through seventeen, and we're going to start here, but we're going to go to other scriptures also. It says here, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Excuse me. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab, Amenadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, Abijah begot Asa, Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheatiel, Sheatiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abweed, Abweed begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Eluid, Eluid begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, Mathan begot Jacob, 
And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David to the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. So we see here again recalling the genealogy. And at the heart of Matthew's genealogy is the grand gospel. And why this is important is because in Jesus' genealogy, there's one distinct thing that we need to note. All of these people are sinners. All of them are sinners. All of them are flawed. You have Tamar, who was a victim of rape. You have Rahab, who was a prostitute. You have Ruth, who was a Moabitess. She was a Moabite. You have Bathsheba, who uh, was a, a victim of King David. She uh, committed adultery, or well, David committed adultery with her and had her husband, Uriah, uh, killed. And from that union came Solomon the king. And that's just among the women. We know again, as we mentioned about David, David was not uh, perfect in any estimation. Isaac was not perfect as a father to Jacob and Esau. And we know Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright. And Jacob also wrestled with God. So you see in the genealogy of Christ, you see sinners, you see imperfect people, you see people who perish, all of them are dead. So we see our Savior, our Lord, with a genealogy so imperfect. And then we have Mary, his mother, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. As it said in, in uh, Matthew 18, she was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So we see the gospel in this that despite the past of Christ as fully man, that God still redeems, God still uses sinners for his ultimate purpose. And so Jesus being the son of man is one of his titles. One of his titles that he gave to himself. The phrase the son of man is frequently used in scripture, particularly in the New Testament to refer uh, to Jesus Christ. And again, he often uses to describe himself. It says here in Matthew 20 verses 17 through 19, it says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So Christ referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now, the, the term Son of Man has very th deep theological significance. It emphasizes Jesus' humanity. That he was fully man. Remember the, the, the nature of Christ. He was 
fully man and fully God. Now, Jesus wasn't born when he was born. <laughs> we have to understand that theologically. Jesus wasn't born when he was born. He didn't come into existence when he was born. It wasn't like Jesus wasn't around until he was conceived and born of the Virgin Mary. No, Jesus is eternal. He always existed. We find this in John's gospel in the very first chapter where it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus always existed in eternity. But God became man. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And we explained that last week why that was important that he be conceived of the Holy Spirit because he could not be conceived in sin because Joseph and Mary were sinners. Okay? So Mary was a virgin and she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus as the Son of Man. It emphasizes his humanity. It also emphasizes his role as Messiah, as the one sent by God. As John 1 said, we beheld his glory. The word became flesh and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So him being the son of man emphasizes his role as the Messiah and also his divine authority. When you read the early parts of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, as we've been reading the last couple of months, you'll see that when Jesus went in the temple to speak, that they marveled at him because he spoke with such authority. This 11, 12-year-old child going into the synagogue with all these elders and all these priests and all these teachers of the law, and he was teaching with such authority, and they didn't know why. They didn't realize that this was God. This is the God man among them. That this was the Christ who was sent to them as the son of man. So Jesus identifies with humanity. Now we're going to look at some, some reasons why him being the son of man is so important. It is critical that we see this son of man title for what it means. So Jesus being titled the son of man underscores various aspects of his humanity, his identity, his mission and his and his authority. First of all, as I just said, it first of all emphasizes his identification with humanity. And this is important because this means that Christ understands us. As fallen man. He himself wasn't sin. As the scripture says. He became sin. Who knew no sin. When it says he became sin. That means he became man. But he did not himself sin. He became sin. Who knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. So first of all. As son of man. Jesus identifies with our humanity. He understands our joys. Jesus himself experienced joy. He understands our sorrows. He understands our temptations because he himself was tempted. Read Matthew 4 and Luke 4. 
He was also tempted by the questioning of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. So he understands our temptations. And he understands our struggles in this flesh because he experienced them all. Christ experienced the sorrows of life. Jesus wept over Lazarus' death and over the people's response to it. Luke 11 and 38, Jesus wept. I'm sorry, John 11, 38. So Jesus understands our sorrows. But he also understands our joys. As man, as the son of man, he understands us all. There's nothing that we can go to Jesus and say, Lord, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Lord, you don't know how I feel right now. We can't say that to our Savior. Why? Because he experienced all those things in the flesh, yet he did not sin. He understands our humanity. He identifies with our humanity. The writer in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, says this. Hebrews 2, rather. Verses 14 through 18. Listen to this passage. If you want to turn to it, that's fine. This is, let's look at Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. And this is what the word says about his identification with us why the son of man title is so important and the writer in Hebrews says this excuse me inasmuch this is Hebrews 2 beginning at verse 14 inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood he himself is speaking of Christ. Let's listen to what the word of the Lord says. He himself likewise shared in the same, shared in the same what? Flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, which is us. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation or atonement of, you know, appeasing God's wrath to satisfy so to make satisfaction for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered. Being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. This scripture shows us that our savior identifies with us. Because he himself was tempted. He knows what it means to be tempted. He suffered so he knows what human suffering is like. It don't matter whether it's financial suffering or suffering in your health, in your body, suffering in, in a marriage or suffering with children or with parents or suffering on your job or no matter what type of suffering it is, our Savior is familiar with your suffering as the Son of Man. Therefore, guess what? We can go to him. 
Because the scripture in Hebrews tells us that he is a merciful high priest. He has mercy upon us when we call upon him. And he is a faithful high priest. He is faithful to see to us when we call on him. He is faithful to attend to our needs. This Christ we sing about. This Christ who was born of Mary and placed in a manger. He's a faithful high priest. He's a merciful high priest. He has mercy upon his children when we call upon him. Isn't that so, so great of a comfort for us as believers? That as the son of man, he identifies with us. That we are never alone. We may be alone in this world and not have people around us all the time, but we're never alone with our Savior. It's like Psalm 121 where the psalmist says, He who watches Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's always watching over his children because he is merciful and he's faithful as the Son of Man. He identifies with us. He identifies with the human experience. It is crucial to understanding the compassion of Christ. That he's compassionate to his people. He's not some cold, distant deity who is unconcerned about us. All these other false gods are not concerned about us. Those people on Facebook who like your status when you say that you're having a hard time of life, they may like it. But at the end of the day, guess what? They have to move on with their life. Everybody does. Everybody has to move on with their life. That's the way life works. People will move on with you and they will agree with you, which is not bad in and of itself. But after a while, guess what? People have to move on with their life, right? I remember my father died 10 years ago, almost 13, uh, 11 years ago. And you know, got a lot of condolences and everything which were fine but after a while people go back to their lives because they have to and guess what I had to go back to mine but guess what our savior is still there because part of his mission is to be alongside his people as the God man another reason why this is important of Jesus being the son of man, being fully man, is his high priestly role. And I kind of touched on that a little bit. Hebrews 4 and 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And then the 16th verse says, Let us therefore come boldly, to the throne of grace that we may obtain, obtain mercy and help in time of need. We can go to God anytime. We can knock on Christ's door in prayer anytime. Why? Because he's our faithful high priest. He sympathizes with us. Why? Because he was the God man. He was born in the flesh. He's the God man. He's the son of man. He identifies with us. Think about the gospels again. He healed people who were sick. 
He healed people who were demon-possessed, casting demons out of them. There were several miracles that he performed doing that, showing his power even over uh, darkness. Healing sick, showing his power over the human body. Calming the seas, showing his power over creation. When his disciples were troubled in that boat, and he calmed the seas, and they marveled at him. Said, what manner of man is this that even the waves obey him? This is the God that we serve. This is the son of man. This is the God man, Jesus Christ, who calms all of our fears. This old gospel song we used to sing, uh, saying that he, so he, he uh, uh, calms our fears and he soothes all of our doubts. He soothes our doubts and calms our fears. That is what the God of man, I'm sorry, the God man did as a high priest. He can understand and intercede for humans. He's our intercessor. That's what the role of the high priest was, to go before God on behalf of the people. And that's what Christ does for us. He goes before the Father as our intercessor. He intercedes on our behalf. He pleads our righteousness before the Father. Another reason why him being the son of man is important is because of his atonement, his sacrifice on the cross. Christ took on human nature to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Philippians 2 and 7 says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. As man, he gave his flesh. He shed his blood as a man for our sins. For his atonement to be effective, Christ had to go to the cross. He had to be that sacrifice in order for our atonement, our sin that being paid for to be effective in order for our sins to be forgiven, his blood had to be shed. Because this passage in Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there remains no remission for sins. So as the God man, he had to go to the cross. He had to atone as our sacrifice. And I was just reading Luke this morning, finish up our reading in, in uh, chapter 23 where he went to trial before Pilate and then Pilate couldn't find anything uh, uh, that he did wrong and they sent them to uh, Herod the king and King Herod couldn't find anything so King Herod sent him back to Pilate and Pilate said again I couldn't find any, any badness man but if you want me to uh, put him to death then I have to do it but they said give us uh, trade him for Barabbas Barabbas was a murderer and he was a rioter. And they traded Jesus out for Barabbas, a murderer. That was, that was representing Christ dying as our substitute. As the God-man. He suffered in our place. In the body. For our sins in his body. He was the God-man. He suffered. 
as our sacrifice. As the Son of Man, Christ also served as an example for us to follow as Lord and Savior. Not just a good example, but to follow him by repenting and turning to him and believing in him. What did he tell his disciples when he picked them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As the God-man, Christ came showing who he was as the Messiah, as the Holy One sent of God. And he beckoned people to do what? Follow him, to repent and turn to him and be saved. This was the God-man. And he didn't make it impossible for us to follow him. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and turn to Christ and be saved. Christ came to bring redemption. He said in Mark 10 and 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many this was his greatest example he did not come to be served but to serve that's what the God man came to do and how did he serve by giving up his life to offer his life as a ransom for many that's how he serves and he continues to serve Also, as the God man, he is portrayed as one having the authority to judge. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 32, Jesus talks about the Son of Man coming in glory to judge the nations. He is going to be the ultimate judge. The Son of Man is going to come back and judge the sheep, separate the sheep from the goats, separate the wheat from the tares, separate those who are in from those who are out. Separate the false followers from the true followers. He is going to come as judge, as the son of man. The son of man is going to come to judge man. He's going to judge unbelievers for everything they've done in the flesh. He's going to judge believers based on what we have done to give out our rewards on that great white throne. That's what the son of man is going to kind of do. He's going to appear with the angels in glory to judge the world. And the last thing that we see as the son of man being fully man is resurrection and victory. That is the glory and the goal. First Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And who is that man the resurrection came through? Christ, the God man. Resurrection came through him. The second resurrection comes through Christ. 
he rose from the dead as a as the God man. And because he rose, guess what? We rise. So as we get ready to close, Jesus being fully man, the son of man, is crucial for our Christian faith. Because it enables us to look to our Savior at all times for everything, to trust in him at all times. Why? Because we know that he knows. We know what he did for us. He provided a suitable sacrifice for sin. He became the example that we are to follow by uh, salvation. He secured our victory over sin and death. He gave us the promise of resurrection and victory. He serves as our high priest. As we get ready for today and tomorrow and until the Lord comes back, let us continue to look to Jesus as the Son of Man. Amen.